Well, please turn to John and chapter 4, and we're going to see how um, hope comes to a hopeless case. And um, it's often said, of course, that the, the United Kingdom is a, is a broken nation. And of course, remind ourselves that a nation is made up of people, made up of uh, individuals. So when we're talking about a broken nation, we're talking about uh, millions of uh, people who have been affected. And we as Christians know that sin is the root cause, but, uh, but broken, I guess, sums up our nation despite any outward appearance of prosperity and progress. Um, and I guess if we go and try and dig at the root of it all, it's, it's basically broken relationships that are the problem. And few escape the, the fallout from the problem of broken relationships. When it comes to marriage, um, according to a recent divorce statistics, 42% of marriages in England and Wales end in divorce. Uh, and that's of the shrinking number who actually bother to, to get married today. Um, but of course, the problem of broken relationships is, is much larger, much, much wider than that. Uh, a recent survey revealed that the, uh, the average relationship lasts just two years and nine months. And then when you add to that the, the confusion and the chaos caused uh, by uh, teaching on gender and sexuality, um, we were tempted at times just to throw up our arms and say, what hope is there for our nation? What hope is there for this young generation that's growing up? Well, in John chapter 4, we see a soul defeated by life, just falling from one mess into another. And yet a life and a situation is completely transformed. And yet not just hers, but the consequences of her transformation touches many others too. So this is the, the hope we're going to see. This is, the, this is what the gospel does. This is why we who are Christians have never room for despair because of the gospel that changed this woman and changes and has changed millions and is still going on changing lives. Well, the first thing I want to, to say as we get to this passage here, a well-known passage I said earlier, but can we ever tire, I hope not, of seeing God at work and, and uh, seeing that this is our God? So the first thing is this, God is interested in the ones. Now I think this is vitally important because you know, we are so numbers conscious. You know, we, we, we have this kind of success mentality and it's all about numbers, but you know, we, we need to get into God's thinking. You know, time and time again, God is interested in ones, in individuals. And, and here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's the, it's the sixth hour. He's been making his way from um, Judea, and he's going back to Galilee, and so it's a long, hot journey, and, uh, and he's not a long way into the journey, but, but it's the sixth hour, it's noon, and here's the Lord Jesus. We can see his, his humanity here. I mean, he's hot, and, and he's weary, and yet he's interested in reaching this one precious soul. Now she's a Samaritan woman, we're told, and of course the Jews hated the Samaritans, they were aliens, they, they were heretics, 
Um, they were a mixed race, part Jew, part Gentile, following the uh, Assyrian captivity. Uh, faith was corrupted, so they were just written off. Uh, and so here is one written-off person living among a nation of written-off people. And so it didn't look too promising to begin with. But God is interested in ones. The background is sad, we're told, aren't we? Um, there's a string of failed relationships. And this woman, um, I, I guess disappointment and sorrow was uh, most probably etched on her face. Um, sin is a cruel taskmaster. And uh, often it shows people who have gone deeply into sin, it just it seems to be etched onto their faces, certainly into their minds. You know, we, we hear so much today about uh, mental health. And of course, there are always consequences. And here is a woman who really set out on the day with not much hope at all. She was notorious in the area. Maybe that's the why she was creeping to the, to, to the well in the heat of the day. It wasn't the most popular time to go, but, but she would go there just to avoid faces, just to avoid the looks. She was notorious. And yet, this would be the power of her testimony a little later on. Because all was to change, and her day of days had arrived. Because although she didn't know it, there was someone special sitting at that well. Not just some stranger, but this was the Messiah. But no coincidence. This was God at work. Um, Here was a meeting ordained by God. We're told in verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, he could have gone on an alternative route. He certainly could have gone inland and followed the Jordan up there, but surely there's more to it than that. There's a divine pressing here. There is an appointment happening here that had been planned in eternity. And this, for me, is just one of the most thrilling things, certainly as I've sought to do the work of an evangelist, Uh, some part over the years, and nothing thrills me more than detecting God at work in a soul. You're you're just aware at times that the God's in this, that the the Holy Spirit, that's why I I wrote a little book a couple of years ago called The Pursuit, the work of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. Because what could be more thrilling than, than God tracking someone down in love, pursuing someone, meeting someone, going all down the pathways of sin, not letting that person go, allowing them to go into some dark situations at times, but God on the move, God pursuing. And uh, maybe you felt something of that. When God is nudging you to speak to someone, you just feel a nudge of the Spirit, speak to that person. The Lord's saying, tell them about me. Tell them about me. You feel a kind of a oh, nervousness. Oh, because <laughs> who doesn't get nervous? Um, and, and again, I just say it. I've, I've, I can't think of a greater thrill I've known over 40 years. I know you're thinking that man's only in his 20s, but I know I heard that. But it's, it's, it is thrilling. I, I, I mean, we, we're in well. I was driving, we, we got down early yesterday and we, we drove. 
um, a little bit near the Ronda, and uh, it reminded me, I just went back in my mind. Um, I was at a Bible college at the time, and we used to go out preaching um, at the weekend into different churches in the valleys, and uh, I went one night to, to a church uh, the other side of Porth in the Ronda, and it was absolutely awful. Um, it was a typical sort of Welsh chapel where it was just, without being unkind, just for chapel goers. They went out for their evening bit of chapel and you'd hear the sweet papers rustling in the prayer and, uh, and then there'd be the usual uh, nice sermon minister. And you knew very well, you know, it was... <laughs> anyway, that was it. So I, I came out of the church and I just thought, is, is that what it's about? Is that what preaching's about? And I got in my little car and I was driving back to, to Barry. I was going through Porth and all of a sudden my, I, I saw this long queue of young people. And it turned out they were queuing to get into a nightclub. Anyway, I, I drove the car past and uh, I didn't get all that far past before I felt the Lord prompt me saying, go back and preach to that queue. Oh, I remember thinking, no, no way. I carried on driving. Until I couldn't go any further, I had to turn the car back and um, uh, park the car. And of course, I had my preaching, my reformed preaching outfit, my dark suit and white shirt and dark tie and a big black Bible. So I went back and I, I, I could get near the queue. I could feel my heart racing. And then I could hear the voice say, Oh, here comes the rent man. So I got, to, I got to the queue and I started to, I had such liberty and joy in preaching. And so I finished and they listened and I had a little bunch of uh, tracts in my pocket and I gave them out and they said, thank you. Now, I got in my car and went off after that. I don't know what was happening there, but I'm pretty sure that God was at work. So significantly, the cup, the cup, the cup was called the, the resurrection. <laughs> and if I Googled it, because I thought, have I got that wrong? I thought, what if there was such a couple? I googled it yesterday. It was the Resurrection Nightclub. It, was, it probably isn't there now. But from that day, I, I, I sensed something of the thrill of just responding to the Spirit's prompting and speaking about Jesus Christ. Now, we're not all called to preach, but we all are called to speak about Jesus. And God's interested in the ones. And God wants to use you to speak about him. And so that's that divine appointment that we see here. The Lord had to go through this area to speak with this woman. But notice our Saviour's wise and tender dealings. So he starts the conversation about physical water. But of course he's going to lead on to spiritual water and, and, and he asks in verse 8 will you give me a drink that there's something disarming about his approach here that, that would put her at ease um, he, he humbly puts himself in her debt of course Jesus is speaking about the life of God within a person he's going to speak about something much greater than a physical water. Maybe just read verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, this woman, as I said, she's been a walking disaster relationship-wise. And every relationship that she had ended in disappointment. And so there's something when we try and examine what might be going on in this. What's wrong with this woman? We try and diagnose the problem. And others might have looked at her and thought, what's wrong with that woman? Relationship after relationship. But there's obviously something that Jesus can detect in her. A longing, uh, an inexpressible longing. It was Aristotle, um, the philosopher, who said that nature abhors a vacuum. And, and God has made every human being for himself, hasn't he? Let people deny there's a God, but we were made by God for God. And so we see, we, we look around us, and many of us ourselves will like it. There, there, is that, there is that inbuilt hole, we often say, but we stuff it. Although it was made for God, we stuff it with longings for career or money or sex or, or drugs, entertainment, drink, social media. But the longing within, we just try and fill out the stuff, and it just doesn't work with her as relationships. But above all else, and we can certainly see it in this woman, I believe, it was a longing to be loved. <laughs> she, she was looking for that person who would love her, be faithful to her, want her, appreciate her. And no relationship <laughs> can fulfill that. But she kept on trying one after another. And so how can it not? How could it not end in disappointment after disappointment? How about you this morning? You know, we're, we're so different and yet we're, we're just the same. That God has made us for that longing and that fulfilment. Oh, you know my story, many of you. With me, it was alcoholism. But it was the same thing, it surfaces in different ways, but that longing, I didn't understand myself. You know, after seeing me lying on the floor, drunk again, what's wrong with that man? Well, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know I needed Jesus <laughs> until, until I discovered I did. But it might be different with you. But still there was that longing, you try this, you try the other, you, but it never works out for you. It never works out. So you know disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. But just maybe God is bringing you to that point of thirst, spiritual thirst, that the Lord Jesus is bringing this woman here. So here's a thirsty soul we can see, but she's confused by, by religion, by false religion. Uh, verse 20 She's more caught up with the where to worship than the how to worship. For her, it's just a physical thing. It's a geographical thing. Um, to her, religion, just empty 
formality, buildings, rules, rituals, none of which mattered to her anyway. <laughs> but that's how she saw it. That's not for me, thank you very much. I've got no interest in that. And who can blame her? Who wants dead religion? Who wants just rituals? But there is that longing and she's, she's open here. And Jesus offers her a relationship. She's beginning to be drawn now. There's something inside of her that's beginning to respond. So, uh, you know, just to think of our nation today, and as I said just earlier, we would be tempted to despair, wouldn't we? With the absolute confusion, we, we, we're concerned for our young people, you know, being taught and the schools being, uh, having to teach uh, things that, that we think, well, you know, what chance will they have? And again, the confusion over gender and, and sexuality and, uh, well, um, people defining themselves by their sexuality. But as for me, well, you know, while there is a gospel, I, I'm very confident because the gospel deals with this. The gospel goes deeper than, than this. And so we can see in her that despite the failure, despite her confusion, she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. There is that longing that you detect in her. And do you know, folks, I, I, I think we're going to see this. It might be through brokenness. It might through a, be through allowing our nation to go down and down. But certainly, you, you know, I, I love doing um, street evangelism and it's the young people that, that show the interest. Isn't it significant? You know, a young generation that's been fed on militant atheism and, and evolution. And yet there is a hunger there. And, uh, and especially in the confusion over sexuality. Um, I was in Southampton a couple of weeks ago uh, and, uh, and got back down from my little preaching bit. Got into one-to-one. It's in the one-to-one conversations where the real work is done. And, and I was speaking with, with Jess and uh, a really good conversation with her. But afterwards, one of my colleagues said, um, was she transgender? And I said, well, I... I don't know. I mean, looking back now, I wasn't sure whether it was a boy or a girl, but what did it matter? You know, I did, that wasn't the starting point. Her sexuality wasn't the starting point. The starting point was that she needed God. And this is the great leveller. We go to people, we, we don't get sidetracked by these issues. On that same day, a group of young girls stopped and, and the girl shouted out, well, I'm gay. I said, what's that got to do with it? I'm speaking about Jesus Christ and there's a place to deal with those issues, but not from the start. We, 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 we go for the main thing. That this is a person who needs God. And the Lord Jesus knows very well there'll come a place to deal with her personal issues, but, but it wasn't the starting point. And so he goes on, when we do see this, this, this all necessary conviction of sin in verses 16 to 18 because he has to deal with, with the, the, the whole backlog of her life and so the law very wisely says go and call your husband at this 
her head must have dropped. But she comes clean because she's got nowhere to run but to Jesus. The game's up. There's, there's no covering it up. There's, there's no hiding it from this person here. But then she's ready to receive the, the cleansing from Calvary. She's, she's ready to receive forgiveness. She's been brought to that point. Now there's a, there's a thirst there. There's a need there. There's an awareness of a need for forgiveness. And now she's, she's ready for, for this stream, this, this, this living water, this flow to come into her life. A new life is set before her, a life that she could never have imagined. But God's life, uh, it flows from Calvary, of course, doesn't it? You know, we, we rejoice over the cross. We who are Christians, um, it seems strange to many people that we can rejoice over the brutal death of the most wonderful person who ever lived, that we know that the blessing flows from Calvary, on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. 2,000 years ago, you say, ah, but, but, the, but the flow, the, the floodgates are opened. I, I watched um, a YouTube clip some weeks ago on, on different floodgates being opened and the power, the power of that water when it was released in some cases, hundreds of feet up in the air, but the power that flowed from it. But nothing like the power that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. Power to flood a town, power to flood a nation. We think of our nation's sins, but we underestimate the, the flood from Calvary, the power that can cleanse, and then from Pentecost, the power of the Spirit to apply that. And this is what transforms a person. Uh, this is what enables a hopeless, paralytic alcoholic to preach. <laughs> oh, I know people say, well, he used to be a hopeless drunkard. Now he's a hopeless preacher. But I said, yeah, but at least I'm standing up these days. You know. <laughs> so, so it is God, you see, that's what we're saying here. It is the power of God. And if our eyes are fixed on the power of the world, we're going to go under. But if we are fixed on the power of the cross and the power of the Spirit, the power of the Word, then no nation is too hopeless and no individual is hopeless. Well, let me just finish with this, really, because then we get a picture of the most surprising evangelist, verses 28 and 29. The woman left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? But isn't that tremendous? She no longer wants to cover up her sin. Come, see a man who told me just how rotten I was. You know, he exposed everything, but now she doesn't mind because her sins have been dealt with. She doesn't care. Who knows? And so she goes straight away and points to to Christ. The whole town is impacted by this changed life. And then the Lord speaks then about the harvest. We haven't got time to go into it. He speaks about, you say four months more, 
Then the harvest, oh, but no. Lift up your eyes to the hills and you can see the harvest coming in as he's speaking. They start to come. He's speaking to the disciples who have returned. And he's telling them, it's harvest time. <laughs> you weren't expecting this, were you? No, others have sown, but you're entering into this. Oh, folks, think of how much gospel seed has been sown. Shouldn't we be praying for a harvest? Shouldn't we be expecting God to break in? Just when we think our nation's on the ropes, and it is, surely this is the very time we can expect God to work. And we see in this woman here just a reminder of how God can suddenly break in. Maybe that's you this morning. God can suddenly break into your life. You're thinking, how will my situation change? You just don't see it. But suddenly God can break in and it's dramatically changed and all for his glory. Well, I wonder, where do you work? Where do you study? There are people whom God will send you to. Samaritan women or the Zacchaeus types, but those who the world would write off. But God can change. Well, let's pray now. We confess, Lord, we can't grasp how gracious and loving you are. And in a world, Lord, where people are written off so easily, and Lord, we confess often we write people off, but Lord, forgive us. Remind us of that grace that flows from the cross of Christ and the power that flows because of Pentecost. And even today, Lord, we pray, give us that faith. Give us a thirst. We need a thirst. We who are your people, Lord, we need to drink afresh of those living waters. Keep us from being stagnant, we pray. Will you come to us and use us, Lord, to irrigate this desert of a world? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing the great Wesley song now, O Thou Who Camest From Above.
Amen.